Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning. I came to New York five years ago this May, and I remember feeling lost. I missed my family, my friends, and my community. I felt uprooted. And then I found Trinity Baptist Church on Google Maps, because Google is my friend. It was a convenient location, and they had a great website. But I've stayed at Trinity because I connected. I joined the women's Bible study, and each week I found something interesting to do in the bulletin. And that's how I first found out about the Global Leadership Summit, the GLS. But I didn't take any notice of it. I thought to myself, I'm not a leader, I'm not married to a leader, and I have no intention of being a leader. (laughs) However, I decided to check out the website, and I was surprised to find such a list of amazing and diverse speakers from America and from other uh, parts of the world. There were leaders in church, in business, politics, and famous authors. That year, they had Condoleezza Rice. So I thought that it would be a good opportunity for me to hear all these famous people live without having to travel anywhere um, and at a discount, because this is a host site. So that was the first conference I attended in 2012, and I've attended every conference since. Why? Three reasons. I'm a leader. You're a leader. We are all leaders, whether it's in the family, in the workplace, in the community, in church, on the bus, everywhere. Leadership is not a title. As a follower of Christ, you're called to lead, to shine, to be the salt of the earth, wherever you are. Secondly, to lead effectively, I must be prepared. I have to learn how to lead myself first and then to lead others. And GLS helps me to develop my character, which is important for the kind of leader that God wants. Uh, And finally, leadership can be tough, and it can be lonely. Connecting with leaders and learning from them keeps me going through tough times. And I know I'm moving in the direction of my calling when I face resistance. And it goes beyond the two days of the conference. Every week, I receive videos and articles from people who are leading all over the world. And that teaches, encourages, and inspires me. And right here at Trinity, there are opportunities to engage with other leaders and a specific program to grow leaders. So I encourage you all to take full advantage of the opportunity we have with the GLS on the 10th and 11th, and also to stay engaged here at Trinity. My name is Angela Lusigi, and I'm a follower of Christ. Our reading today is from Hebrews 12, the first three uh, verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the Lord. We uh, periodically or frequently or routinely or some frequency 
get together in these small groups uh, to talk about a question which um, you really often, many of you don't like to do. Um, We're going to do it anyway. So what I'd like for you to do to get us started this morning is get in in small groups of three or four, and I want you to discuss this question. What is your attitude toward or your perspective on running a marathon? Okay, whether you run it or the people who run it, what do you think about running a marathon? So take about 90 seconds and talk to each other. So I saw Sarah Page back here, and Sarah loves to run. I think Sarah has probably run 100 yards in her life. Um, so um, how many, let me hear some responses. How many of you just thought, think that people who run those things are nuts? Yeah. How many of you admire people who... Okay. How many of you admire people who are nuts? Okay. Whatever we think about people uh, who run marathons or, or about marathons themselves, if you are a follower of Jesus, what you need to know is you are in one. You see, if you read through... <laughs> If you read through the New Testament, you see all of these analogies or, or uh, illustrations of what, what a, a life with Jesus is all about. And sometimes you'll see it referred to as a battle, or sometimes it's referred to as an architectural endeavor where they're building, or sometimes it's an agricultural endeavor where they're planting and sowing and reaping. But but most of the time, or, or the most frequently used analogy, is that of a race. And it's probably the most profound analogy. And when it talks about the Christian life as a race, it's not talking about a 100-meter sprint or even a 5K. Because when you're running the Christian life, it takes perseverance. It's, it's a marathon. You see, to, to, run, a, to run a 5K or, or to run a, a sprint, you don't have to have fortitude. You just got to be fast. But if you're running 26.2 gut-wrenching miles, people who do that are crazy. Um, that... That doesn't take ability. It takes will and heart. Some of you have run marathons. And you know how tough it is. And you know that the the key to running a marathon is not how you start, but it's how you finish. I mean, you get to the starting line and you 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 got your running gear on. You got your new shoes, you know, and the gun goes off. And you take off. But anybody can do that. See, it's the 26.2 miles later that matters. It doesn't really, the, the thing that we want to talk about this morning is not so much how we're running today in 2017, but how will you be running 
in the Christian life 15, 20, 30 years from now. It takes perseverance. And the place that we see this most plainly is in this text in Hebrews chapter 12. If you've been with us through this series, you know that this book was written to a a group of of Jewish Christians who were struggling with their faith. And and so this, this author who cares about these friends writes them a letter to, to encourage them and, 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 and inspire them to not just settle for good enough, but to, to press into the, the abundant life that Jesus has for them. But nowhere in this letter does he say, you know, put your faith in Jesus and life will be easy. He never says that. He is honest with them. He's honest with us. And telling us that if we want the abundant life, if we want not to just settle for good enough, sometimes it's going to take hard work. Sometimes it's going to require that we persevere. And that's what he's talking about in this text this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders, as Stephanie and Heidi sang. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's that word, perseverance. It's the Greek word hupomone. Hupo means under. Mone means uh, to abide. Hupomone literally means to abide under, to remain underneath. Uh, the idea is that when hardship comes, when, when opposition comes, when things come into your life that you don't understand, when you're running that marathon and you hit the wall at the 20-mile mark, you don't give up. You don't throw in the towel. You, you gut it out and you keep going. You persevere, you remain under. And that doesn't require ability, it requires fortitude. Friends, when we talk about a Christ follower having perseverance, it doesn't mean, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It doesn't mean that you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. What it means is that you recognize your own weakness. You recognize that at the end of the day, you do not have the strength in and of yourself. You do not have the wisdom in and of yourself. And you turn to God and you say, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I can't do this, but you can. God, I can't figure this out but you know the end. You see, the follower of Jesus, when they persevere, it's not about just gutting it up. It's about recognizing that I am not the, uh, the source of truth in the universe. I am not the source of strength in the universe, but I am weak. But as Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, when I am weak, what? That's when I'm strong. 
Why? Because that's when I'm leaning into the one who is the absolute power, the absolute wisdom in the universe. I lean into him and I receive from him. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Anybody heard of that song, Amazing Grace? It's kind of a, kind of a, you know, and there's a, there's a line that Newton wrote where he said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And then he says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Any of you going through something right now that's hard? Some of us are. Many of you know that my wife, Deanne, has been struggling with a debilitating headache for two and a half years. She has a headache when she wakes up. She has a headache when she goes to bed. It never subsides. And it's been hard. It's been hard on both of us, but it's been really hard on her. And what I've seen in my wife is that she has leaned into Jesus. And even though she gets discouraged, even though she gets frustrated, she leans into Jesus and and his grace leads her home. His grace leads her through. If you're not going through a trial right now, I am so happy for you. (laughs) But I got some news. Get ready. It's coming. You see, trials are not an elective in the Christian life. They are required curriculum. The author says when they come, we're not to fold. We are to persevere. We are to remain under. And do you notice what it is that encourages us to persevere? Verse 1 says that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Now, some have read this to to mean this, this crowd of spectators. Like we have our own personal cheering section. Um, but that's not what he's talking about. The therefore that begins verse 1 is referring back to, to all of these heroes of the faith that he just talked about in chapter 11 and that, that Tim pointed to last week. Um, Enoch and Abraham and Abel and Sarah and Noah and Moses, all of those folks. That is our great cloud of witnesses. Now, does this mean that they're watching me and cheering me on? I don't think so. And for a few reasons. One, they are not God. Therefore, they are not omniscient and they are not omnipresent. And the second reason is, if you were in glory and you were in the presence of the one that you had lived your life to see, where would your focus be? 
not on a bunch of mortal yahoos trying to make it through life. I'll guarantee you this. If I get there before you, I will not be looking at you. All right? I will be focused on the Savior who got me through and brought me to himself. This phrase doesn't say there's a great crowd of spectators. It says there's a great cloud of witnesses. The Greek word is martyron, from which we get our word martyr. And what is a martyr? A martyr is someone who, who bears witness by his or her death. The author is saying that we are surrounded by this cloud of people who bear witness to the faithfulness of God and the fact that a life of faith can indeed be lived. If you've run a marathon, you know what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're running 26.2 miles and you get to mile 13 and there's some non-runner standing on the sideline saying, come on, you can do it, you got it, no problem. And your legs are burning and everything in you is... What are you thinking? No problem. You come do this. Right? I've run a couple of marathons, and the last one I ran will be the last one I run. <laughs> I ran New York City in 2010, and at um, about mile 20, I was just about to cross the Third Avenue Bridge into the Bronx, and I was feeling pretty good. But my calf seized up, and it was later diagnosed as a micro-tear. I don't know what that means, but it was not good. And so, so every, you know, I'd run for a little way, and my calf would seize up, and I'd have to stop, and I'd, you know, stretch it, and I'd massage, and then I'd start walking, and it'd feel loose, and I'd start running again, and I'd go for a while, and then it would seize up again. I was in terrible pain, but I just kept going and kept going, and finally I got to the park, and I had my bib on, you know, had my name, Keith, on it, and everybody said, come on, Keith, you can do it, Keith, and then every, every now and then I'd, I'd stop, and I'd have to massage, and somebody would say, suck it up, Keith, you don't have to walk. <laughs> I thought, dude, I'm going to come kick you with my good leg. <laughs> I know that they were just trying to be supportive, but when you're in pain and you got people on the sidelines just saying, come on, you can do it, you're going, no, come on. We don't have a group of non runners telling us we've got it made, no problem. What we've got is a cloud of people who have been there, who've run the course, who know what it takes, and they bear witness to the fact that it can be done. If you're here this morning and you are trying to live for God in a context, be it the workplace or family or, or school, and it seems like 
everyone is in opposition to you and you just don't know if you can make it. Look at Enoch. Chapter 11 says, by faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, you can too. Is God asking you right now to do something where people might just think you're nuts? You're doing this for God because, you know, they think that what you're doing is absurd. Chapter 11, Noah, who built an ark. How would you like to build a 450-foot-long boat in the middle of a landlocked country? Noah did because he trusted God. And so can you. Is God calling any of you to do something that you've never done and that you're afraid you're going to fail? Well, by faith, Abraham went to a land that he didn't know where he was going. But he did it. Is God calling you to, to do something that you don't think you're able to do? Well, think about Abraham and Sarah. They were both beyond childbearing years, and Sarah was barren, and, and God made a promise, and so they stepped out in faith because they believed that God would be true to his word. So can you. Ever feel like God has asked you to give up something that is precious to you in order to honor him? Think about Abraham. God asked him to give up his only son, the, the son, the heir of the promise. But he did it because he trusted God. Some of you may be staring death right in the face right now. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. He died in faith, worshipping, and so can you. You can face death. I wonder how many of us are, are having to make some decision based on long-term spiritual wisdom as opposed to short-term physical gratification. Think about Moses. Chapter 11 says that Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing instead to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. You see, he was looking to his reward. He lived by faith. Moses did it, and so can you. Friends, whatever you may be going through right now, our cloud of witnesses says, been there, done that, I've done the 26.2, and you can too. So how do we do it? Well, we have to prepare. Verse 1 says that we must throw off everything that hinders. There are certain things that if we're going to run the marathon, we can't do that other people are doing. If you're training for a race... You can't eat three pints of haagen every night before you go to bed. Is there anything inherently wrong with haagen No, it's quite good, actually. <laughs> but 
if you eat three pints before you go to bed and you're in training, you're going to add a few LBs around here and it's going to hinder you in the race. God says if you're going to run the race, you've got to throw off everything that hinders. The Greek word used there is oikon, which is not the word uh, used in talking about the responsibilities of life, things that we must do. And it's not the word that's used talking about uh, sin. It's the word used referring to an impediment or an encumbrance. He's talking about things in our lives which take too much of our time and too much of our energy and they, they are a preoccupation and they pull us away from our relationship with the Savior. Last week, Tim mentioned uh, this guy who was a really good golfer, but then he had a daughter and he decided that he needed to play less golf so he could spend more time with his daughter. Remember that? And so... Um, is golf inherently wrong? Perish the thought. <laughs> I hope not. Um, no, golf's not wrong, but it was wrong for him in that season because he had something he valued more than golf, and that was his relationship with his daughter. That's what the author is talking about. Is there something in your life which is getting your time and your energy and it's keeping you from having time to be in the scriptures every day? It's keeping you from having time to, to be in prayer every day, to, to do those things that, that enhance your, your intimacy with the Savior. Whatever it is, that's, a, that's an oikon. It's not necessarily sinful. It's just something that, that keeps you, that hinders you from stepping into the fullness of life that God has for us, and we have to throw that off. Now, don't raise your hands, but I wonder how many of us just don't feel like we have time to study the Scriptures. Yeah, life's just too busy. I got work, I got family, I got more work. I got friends. Oh, yeah, and then I have to watch Sports Center um, because I, I need to know. Oh, and CNN. I got to watch CNN because you got to know what's going on in the news. But then I have to watch, you know, Fox because I need to get it balanced, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out which is fake news and real news. You know, I got to do that. Oh, yeah, and then there's that that you know, new series that I just started, and that's really good. And Game of Thrones is coming back on. And, uh, see, we say we don't have time for the Scriptures, but we are religious about our television. And we've just lost two hours a day, ten hours a week, conservatively. Friends, that's an oikon, and we've got to throw it off. We could sit here and go just list thing after thing, but my challenge to you is I want you to think about what is it in my life? What are the oikons in my life? What are the hindrances in me that I need to throw off so that I can persevere in this race and step into the abundant life that God has for me?
next time you see a runner, just FYI, take note of what they have on. Not much. Right? They got that little t-shirt on, flimsy little nylon shorts, and the lightest running shoes they can afford. And really nothing, nothing else. You don't see runners with big old boots and overcoat and all that stuff. Why? Because they've thrown off everything that hinders so that they can run the race. And that's what we have to do. The next thing, verse 1, we are to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Not only do, do we get rid of the hindrances, but we have to get rid we have to get rid of the sin that entangles. And did you notice that it uses the, the definite article? It says, the sin. And I think that if, if you think about it, there's one sin in your life that keeps grabbing you. There's one thing that keeps jumping up and bringing you down. You may be single and spending time in the Word and pursuing God, but that sex thing just keeps grabbing you. Or maybe you're a guy and you, you're in a small group and you, you've got some accountability guys and you're studying the scriptures together and you're serving in church, but, but surfing the web in the wrong places just keeps grabbing you. Maybe for some of us it's an unforgiving and bitter spirit. Maybe for some of us it's an addiction or maybe it's anger, maybe it's greed. What is it for you? What is the sin that just keeps bringing you down? Now, don't misunderstand me. We are all sinners. Amen? That's a real Baptist thing to say. Amen? <laughs> the scriptures teach that there is no one who continually does good all the time and never does wrong. But what the author is saying is that that running a race that is pleasing to God and being used by Him has to be so precious to you, the price tag has to be so high that there is no person, no thing, no sin that will ever meet that price. When you do not persevere in the race, you are in effect saying, it's not that important for me to finish. It's not worth that much to me. I can be bought. What's your price? Friends, we must place such a high value on following Jesus that we are willing to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles that repetitive thing that just keeps bringing us down so that we can run the race. Is following Jesus so important to you that you are committed to, do, to doing whatever it takes to finish? If you are, but you're not sure how to do it, then let, my, let me encourage you to do what the author tells us in verse 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus. That word fix is a great word because it means to look away from everyone and everything else. You know, the, that great cloud of witnesses is a great encouragement to us, but they don't instill value in us. Only Jesus does that. Why? Because he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Pioneer and perfecter is another way of saying that he is the first and the last. He is the one who began the process. He is the one who completes it. He is the one person who has died unto the justice of God for the forgiveness of my sin and has raised from the dead to justify me before the Father and give me his righteousness. He is the beginning of my faith. He is the end of my faith. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Enoch, but Jesus. So fix your eyes on him. Then the text says... For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was his joy? Was it power? No, he had that before he left the throne room of heaven. Was it riches? As the creator of the universe, what else do you want? The joy set before him was you. You are his joy. You are the reason that he endured the cross and scorned its shame. And the reason he did that was you. The joy of bringing you into glory with him. Friends, it's great to be encouraged by our cloud of witnesses. But it's something else to see the creator of the universe who loves me so much that he would give his life for me. And when I fix my eyes on him, I can press on. I am his joy. Jesus ran the race marked out for him because he valued you. You were his joy. But the question is, do you value him? The race is marked out for us. We've got witnesses who have run it before, so we know that a life of faith can be lived. What it boils down to is whether or not you truly value Jesus. If you do, then throw off everything that hinders. If you value Jesus, then throw off the sin that so easily entangles. If you value Jesus... Fix your eyes on him who endured the cross for you. And when you do that, you can, with perseverance, run the race. Let me pray for us. I want you to do something with your heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you to make two fists. And in your hands, I want want you to see yourself holding in one hand 
the thing, the thing or things that hinder you? What are those things that, not necessarily sinful, but, but they take your time and your energy away from, from pursuing Jesus? On the other hand, I want you to see that sin. And that's not a hard one to come up with. I want you to see that sin that so easily entangles. And just in the quiet of your heart, I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God to give you the ability to throw off those things. The, the courage to throw off those things. And when you're ready to release those things to the Lord, I want you just to open your hands. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we are all sinners saved by grace. And we recognize, Lord, that sometimes trying to, to walk into this abundant life that you've called us to is hard. And it takes perseverance. It takes remaining under And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. I pray that you would give us the, the, the strength, the fortitude to do that. But, Lord, at the end of the day, I know that what enables me to do that more than anything else is fixing my eyes on you. And so I pray this morning that as we come to the table, we would be reminded again of the sacrifice that you made because we were your joy. And that we would fix our eyes on the life that you give us through your death. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen.